Well, good morning. My name's Stephen, and I'm the lead pastor here at Battleground Community Church. I know I haven't preached for a few weeks, and, and I enjoyed being ministered to by Pastor Mike as he went through Jonah. Let me answer that question as you find Revelation. Why let other people preach? Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say you wanted to be a, a pilot. You wanted to fly a plane. And so you went to school, taught you all the particulars of being a pilot. But let me ask you something. How are you ever going to be a good pilot? Going to have to fly out a plane. How many times are you going to have to fly a plane before you're an excellent pilot? A lot. Preachers got to preach. And part of my, one of my responsibilities is to train young men and then let them flap their wings. And preaching is one of those areas. It must be done and must be done regularly. And uh, I think you were blessed by Micah's preaching as I was. Not only this, it gives me time to, to lay out future sermon series like Revelation and James. And so to that now we give our attention Revelation one, we're not, we're not going to give, I'm not going to preach through an exposition through the whole book of Revelation. I will, I will come back to it. And, uh, but right now we are going to look what I think the Lord wants us to see. The word revelation means almost obviously to reveal. It means the unveiling of something that is previously hidden. The book of Revelation was written during a time of persecution. Probably during the reign of Domitian, who ruled between AD 81 and AD 96. Most people think Revelation was written about AD 95. So right at the end of his reign. This was the second wave of persecution that would break out of major persecution against Christians. The first one you're very familiar with, which is Nero. But it was very isolated. It was very focused in one particular area, Domitian made it empire-wide. So his persecution of believers was more widespread. And every church was affected in this area. So Revelation is addressed to seven churches in Asia Minor. This would be western Turkey today. John was an apostle. He was a pastor. He's now banished to an eye called Patmos. And so let's just read a few verses just to get us started. Stand with me to your feet. Revelation 1. We're just going to read verses 9 to 11. But we're actually going to look at almost the whole chapter this morning. Revelation 1, beginning at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the isle called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Let's pray. Lord, uh, our God, and our Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, the one who redeemed us, the one who gave us this revelation. Lord, to understand something of your sovereignty and something of your 
of your son's preeminence this morning so that we might receive these letters that you've written to us, to your church, who has been redeemed by your name and called to be a faithful witness. Lord, your church today, worldwide, is suffering. Lord, even at a greater degree than they were then. Forgive us, Lord, that we here in America are ignorant of that. Forgive us for ignoring our brothers and sisters who are being martyred one after another for the glory of your name. Prepare us, Lord, to receive this message over the next eight weeks and lead your church to repentance so that we may be the witness that you have made us, created us, and redeemed us to be for the glory of your great name. Amen. You can be seated. So three principles, if you've got your notes here this morning, that I want to go over at the beginning of our time. To understand this, this little brief series in Revelation. Uh, look with me at Revelation 1 verses 1 to 3. This will sort of start us looking at these just principles here. Verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of his prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. First principle that needs to guide our study over the next eight weeks is revelation is given by Jesus and centers on Jesus. This is the revelation. This is not the revelations. This is not plural. This is one revelation, and the revelation is ultimately about Jesus. Notice it is given to God's servants. The revelation is singular, and servants, plural, they are to believers. These are the things that's going to take place soon. The angel is sent by Jesus to declare something that was to come about soon. Verse 2, notice, this is the Word of God. It's God's message about Jesus for the churches. There's a promise here. We're going to look at that in our small groups. Very James-like, those who hear and those who do. In other words, Revelation is meant to be read, understood, and applied. Not read, argued about. And ignore the things we understand. Revelation. This is the second principle. It's important. This is important. Revelation cannot mean to us or to you what it did not first mean to the original audience. Let me say that again. This is a basic rule of all biblical interpretation. Revelation cannot mean to you what it did not first mean to the churches in Thyatira, and Pergamum, and Ephesus. So who is Revelation 2? Firstly, look at verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So the whole letter 
Not just the ones in like chapter 2 to Ephesus, but the whole letter is written to the churches first. It must be understood how they read it, understood it, and applied it, and then we must apply it. Look at verse 9. These were suffering believers who were being actively persecuted and targeted precisely because they followed Jesus Christ. Talk about that more in detail. Third principle. Revelation is written to comfort, encourage, and correct the seven churches during their present tribulation. It's written to comfort them. It's written to encourage them. It's written to correct them in the midst of present tribulation. Got that graphic? So there was a road. Remember, this is a Roman province. This is, you see the island of Patmos. This is where John was banished. There was a road that connected these cities that run around like a horseshoe shape and then come back around. If you were going to deliver the messages, you would have began. You see where you would begin. You begin with Ephesus. That's why the first letter is delivered to Ephesus. And so what we are going to do over the next eight weeks is simply look at each church around here. And so let's ask the question. Why seven churches? Why not five or eight? Because seven in, is symbolic. It is more than just these seven churches that these letters were written for. The word seven, we'll see this throughout our study. Seven means perfection or completion. So in other words, though we must first understand it in the light of these seven churches, this letter's for us. It's for all the churches throughout all of history. Until the Lord returns. It is in these contexts and with these principles that we are called to live out our mission. A people who was persecuted, who was suffering, but who must grow, who must be holy, who must keep on mission. So how's it going? Well, in John's day, as well in ours overall, not so good. So why not? What's the problem? If somebody asked you how you were doing and you would just speak honestly instead of I'm doing okay, you know, like we always say, and you would say, not so good. Imagine with me for a minute that you have some kind of mystery illness. Something's wrong and you know the symptoms, you know some of the problems that you're having, but you don't know why. You've gone to doctor after doctor to no avail. But, but you hear there is a world-renowned specialist in the field. And so you travel to him. And you allow him to do test after test after test on you. And then you get in your car or the plane and you go home. Well, this doctor writes you a letter. And in that letter, there is both the diagnosis and treatment options if there is any. Can I ask you a question? How would you read that letter? Would you simply put it on there like your junk mail on the bar or the breakfast table and re get to it later? Or would you stop everything you're doing? Would you call your, your spouse or somebody important in your life and say, he's, he's written me a letter, I've got it here, I've got... Will you come over? Come home, we need to read this. Would you read it quickly or carefully? 
Because here's the truth. You would read it as if your whole life depended on it. In the same way, listen. You're going to see this in the passage today. Christ has visited our church. Christ has visited Battleground Community Church. And He has done, as it were, a spiritual checkup. And He has written the diagnosis because He cares for us. The question is, will we heed the diagnosis and live or ignore it to our peril? John writes Revelation in order to reveal God's sovereignty and Christ's preeminence both now and in the future so that weary believers might experience grace and peace in times of distress. I want us to see this morning six Christ-centered revelations of Christ's preeminence. Before we open the letter, we must look at the doctor. We must see his credentials. We first see that he is a trinity. There is a triune doxology. Look at verse 4. We see first the Father on a throne. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. This is the same language in verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within. And and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Jesus appears in verse 5. So this is speaking of the Father. And it's no problem to see Him as the coming one. Because remember, they are Trinity. Everything that is true of one is true of the other. We have the Father on the throne and we have the Holy Spirit before the throne. Look at verse 4. From the seven spirits who are before His throne. So what's up with this? Is there actually seven Holy Spirits? Remember... Numbers in Revelation are symbolic and they are important. They mean something. Seven, as we've said before with the churches, means perfection. It means fullness. So this stands for the fullness of the Holy Spirit before the throne. Oh, i got to show you something. Turn with me to John 7. I want you to see it. So turn with me in your Bibles. John 7. This is just one of those things that said, I I don't need to say that, but I'm going to say it because it's important. John 7. Look with me at verse 37. John 7, 37. I want you to see this about the Spirit. On the last day of the feast, John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. Now this he said about the who? The Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now hold that thought. Turn with me to Revelation 22. Let's take ourselves to the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to come back here at the end. But I want you to see this. Then the angels showed me, verse 1, Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either sides of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
Brothers and sisters, the river of life is the Holy Spirit that flows out of your soul right now and in the new heaven and the new earth will flow from the very throne of God and the Lamb. That's good. That deserved an amen, brothers and sisters. We've got to get this. There is a triune doxology. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. I want you to see two things. We're going to see this as we look at the churches. Jesus is the faithful witness. He is also the ruler of the kings. And if you've done any study in Revelation at all, we're going to see those kings in all kind of trouble because of the Lamb. He is the faithful witness. He is the ruler of the kings. And we show up in verse 5 and 6 as his vice regents. That means we are God's kingly representatives on earth. To him who loves us, verse 5, and freed us from our sins by, by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We are made to rule for God. Grab that. I mean, just where do you even put that? We are made for that. We are not made to roll around in worry and anxiety and fear. We are made to rule for God. He freed us from our sins for a purpose. His people constitute a kingdom and priest of God the Father. We are made to mediate His blessings as priests to this entire world just as Adam and Eve were created to do. This is a message to these suffering churches that God put them as His representatives to be a light in a dark, troubled world. And so are we. You see, look at verse 7 and 8. We are the vice regents. Absolutely. God's representatives, but we aren't preeminent. Jesus is. Amen? Verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes on earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. God is coming through His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring His kingdom. So believers then and believers now and believers in the future are guaranteed two things. Protection and vindication. Listen, this is important in our end times understanding. Protection does not mean escape. It means perseverance. The idea of escape is foreign In the biblical narrative. We are given the promise of protection through perseverance. And the promise that in the future, not one act of injustice will escape the Father's gaze. To this, we hear this divine interruption in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God declares Himself, I am the beginning, 
I am the end. I am the first letter of the alphabet, and I am the end. In other words, what he is saying is there's not one speck of creation or one speck of human history that I am not sovereign over. Therefore, there is not a chance in heaven nor hell that this world's ever going to spin out of control. Revelation tells us the things that are to happen between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And he is sovereign over it all. The first time God said, let there be light, till he creates a new heaven and a new earth. But here's the truth. Verse 9, the church is in tribulation. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. One, see tribulation, and the kingdom, and the what? Patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony. They're partners first in tribulation. There is both physical and spiritual persecution. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. There is emperor worship, which was the core issue that they were being persecuted for. They were being betrayed by the Jews. And because of all of these things and all the consequences, it created this economic suffering, physical poverty in the life of the people. This is the issue. Listen, this is important to understanding the whole book. The issue is the church is going through present tribulation and needs to be encouraged to persevere. John says, I know this firsthand because I'm with you. I'm being suffered. I'm suffering on an island by myself. You ever seen the movie Castaway? Tom Hanks is sitting there talking to Wilson. The only person he had on there to talk to was, I think it was a volleyball, wasn't it? You know, there by himself, this is the picture. Him on the island, banished. John said, I'm here for two reasons. Because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's also a partner in the kingdom. The churches and John, us. This means that those who persevere will one time enjoy Christ's very presence. In other words, Revelation 21, 22 is coming. There's no promise of escape. There's no promise of escape. There's no promise of escape. Only patient endurance in the hope of our sovereign Lord. In the midst of the church's present tribulation, the Son of Man speaks... John said in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. It was these verses, verses 12 to 20, that I... That this word preeminent come from. Jesus is preeminent. It means he is superior to and above all. He, is, he has a preeminent priesthood. Look at verse 13. He looks to see who is speaking to him. And what he sees is lampstands. Now we're going to see here, we're going to get to that, that these lampstands are actually represent the churches. But what does a lampstand do? What is it meant for? What does it carry? Light. So that ought to immediately 
go to a place. Matthew 5, remember, says we are the ones that carry the light of the glory of God to a dark world. He sees these lampstands. John's calling them to be a faithful witness in a dark world, even in the midst of their suffering. But notice the precise language. He sees one like a son of man. And if you know your Bibles, Daniel 7 ought to pop in your head. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Christ is wearing here in verse 13 a long robe. That's what priest wore. Look back up to verses 5 and 6. It is the Son of Man who has atoned for the sins of the people. And if He hadn't, if there had been no cross, there would be no atonement. And if there had been no atonement, there would be no kingdom of priests. There would be no adopted children and you would have no hope. You see, the cross is the tree that brought us life. And so in Revelation 22, we see the tree of life, even in the new heaven and the new earth. He is preeminent in His priesthood. He is preeminent in His wisdom, verse 14. The hair of His head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Again, if you know your Bibles, Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took His seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of His head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousands and thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. His white hair conveys wisdom, dignity, and honor. At the same time, there is this blazing fire. Pointing to victory through judgment. It is this one, Jesus the preeminent one, who has the ability to with his penetrating flames to get to the heart of the issue. Not only in the seven churches, but in this very world. He is preeminent in his priesthood. He is preeminent in his wisdom. He is preeminent in his power and stability. Look at verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and His voice was like a roar of many waters. So as as He looked, He saw this robe. And as He looked down the robe, He saw His feet, and His feet were bronze. Bronze in that day portrayed strength and stability. But not only that, his voice, his voice was, he said it was like a mighty roar of a rushing river. Have you ever went to Niagara Falls under that little outlook and stood there as the, 
as the Niagara Falls came out and the noise of, of that power that came over that. And you might say, Let, this looks like it's out of control. In reality, Niagara Falls is under complete control. You turn it down at night. You see, he's got a preeminent priesthood. He is preeminent in wisdom, in his power, in his stability. But he is also preeminently in control. This is not a, a power that is unpredictable, that is out of control. Look at verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. We're going to see that the lampstands of the church... And the stars are the angels delivering the message. We're going to come back to that. But notice that the stars are in the Son of Man's hands. He's in the preeminent one's hands. He is not in control, only in control of the church. He is in control of the angels of the churches. And everything that is going to happen as revelation unfolds, and those angels are doing what the Lord said, our Lord is in control of it all. This not only implies control, but protection. You remember John 10, 28? No one is able to take them out of my hands. He is in control, protecting his church. But there is also truth in judgment here in verse 16. This sharp two-edged sword proceeds out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. We are familiar with this sharp two-edged sword. We've heard it before. But this is more pointed. Because what is going to come out as these vignettes open all the way through the book is truth and judgment. It's not one person who has ever hurt God's people or came against the Sovereign One will get by with it. His divine judgment comes with authority. And see what he's, you got to understand it in context to see what he's doing. He's casting in contrast to the government. The government who was persecuting Christians, who were saying, Worship us, or we will kill you, or we will take your stuff, we'll ruin your livelihood. He was sitting there going, Don't fear them. Their will is not sovereign, mine is. He is preeminent in truth. He is preeminent in His judgment. And verse 16 also says, He is preeminent in glory. When He tries to look at Him, it is like trying to stare at the sun. This is the high point of the vision. As he sees this glory. Do you see this though, brothers and sisters? Do you see what John wants you to see before you open the letter? He wants you to see the preeminent one. You see, you go back to that letter with that doctor. If you didn't trust the doctor's credentials, would you really hold any credence to the message? If you believe the doctor, if you'd heard somebody says, man, he might give you a diagnosis, but he operated on me and he made a mess. 
I like to die from that guy cutting on me. Don't you let him cut on you. You're sitting there all of a sudden, you're reading this letter. I don't know. John wants you to know the letter you're about to read comes from the King of glory, the one who sits in light that we cannot even see, the one who is sovereign in his wisdom and his power and his control. He is in charge of everything. The government is not in charge. Jesus is in charge. That's what he's teaching them. He is sovereign, wise, powerful, stable, and glorious. Therefore, do not ignore him. Listen to what he says. At this, the preeminent one speaks. He's already been speaking. Look at verse 17, the very beginning. When I saw him, John, when John saw him, John fell at his feet as though dead. This John, who leaned on Jesus' chest and called him his friend, now lays prostrate at his feet like a dead man. This is important. God allows us to see His preeminent holiness before we feel His extravagant mercy. And if you've never seen His holiness, you've never seen Him. No matter what you know about Him. The first thing we feel when we come into the presence of the Almighty is fear. John did. Isaiah did. Are we an exception? Praise the Lord for the rest of the verse. For John fell down as a dead man, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Fear always comes before fear not. But fear not always comes. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death. You see how he comforts him doesn't comfort him with a little meek Jesus holding the lamb. He said, I got it all, John. It's okay. I'm your Lord. I'm the beginning of this thing, and I'm the end of this thing. I'm the one who died for you, but I'm not dead. I'm alive, and I've got the keys. Those are not actual keys. That's authority. The first and the last is the title of absolute sovereignty. The keys of one is absolute authority. He, if he's got the keys of death and Hades, he's also got the keys of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's contrasting this against these pagan gods, these lifeless images that they're supposed to walk up to a bust of Caesar and worship that. Is not on your life. There's no power in that. They don't have the keys. They can take your physical life, but they can't do anything to your soul. I've got the keys to that. Therefore, John, write this down. I'd just like to have that job. Write down what you just saw. Write down what you're going to see. Write down the things that are happening now and the things that will happen later. Verse 19. You see, the relationship between the present in their life and the future in their lives and ours holds this whole apocalyptic letter together. It's what connects it. His vision comprehends all of history, including the present and the future, and they are inseparably connected. I want you to see the mysteries 
<laughs> this is not always the case in Revelation to where he's so clear of what everything means. Don't you wish he would be sometimes when you study Revelation? But here he is. You see, the mysteries are mysteries. Sometimes they are revealed and sometimes they are kept. And brothers and sisters, if they are kept, you will drive yourself crazy trying to see them. Some things he didn't tell us. But this he did, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the, are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Daniel 2 verse 47, Nebuchadnezzar says that your God, Daniel, is the revealer of mysteries. And so he tells him, John, the lampstands are the churches. They're the churches that, you're gonna, that I'm going to see fit that this, this message goes to. These churches need this message. They're facing persecution in a hostile environment. And they must realize, John, that my abiding presence is with them in their very midst. Don't miss that. Jesus is in the midst of His churches. He's with them. He's here. And if He is here, we're never alone. The stars are the angels. Now there are some that say these are preachers. Pretty good guess. But here's the problem. 75 times in Revelation, angels are used. And 74 times that we know they're all speaking of heavenly angels, not of preachers. And so the most natural way to see this is that these are angels. And they're angels of the churches. Now I'll let you ponder that. Let you roll around in that, that goodness. But listen, this is the important part. Wherever you land, understand this. There is a demonic horde that seeks to destroy you, your family, and this church. And if there is, and there is, then there is a greater angelic host fighting with us. We are never alone. This, brothers and sisters, is the comfort to the churches then and the comfort to the churches now. Why did Christ give John this revelation to give to the church? So that believers might experience comfort and grace in times of distress, hardship, and persecution. He gave it to them. And listen, this breaks me. That we can't study in times because people get mad and leave the church over it. And I'm like, are we missing the point? This is given to us and to them so that in the worst possible times in your life and mine, we might have find comfort and grace in no matter what situation we find ourselves in life. This is what David said in Psalms 23, that our Lord is present comfort. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? 
for you are with me. And not only is he with me, he has a rod and a staff. And they both comfort me, but not in the same way. Both the rod and the staff have a purpose. One is for protecting and one is for correcting. One he uses to fiercely defend his own. And the other he snatches them away from the cliff before they fall. Both done out of love. And both are brings comfort. Oh, but there is a future hope. Turn with me to Revelation 22. I want us to end with this and then I want us to sing about it. That's why both me and Micah both studied the text. Because the music that we're about to sing is the application of Revelation 22. Let's look at this and I'm done. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And there will be no need of light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Of all the things that you can think about, here is the promise that will bring you comfort no matter what you're going through. You will see His face. And so, now we are ready to read the letter that He wrote to us. And so I ask you, this week, read Revelation chapter 2. Study it as if The letter is written to you because it is. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Lord says to his people. And so as we respond to the message, let me encourage you. We actively respond here through communion, through singing. But I am always here standing here at the front to listen and to pray, whether it is now or later. Let's pray together. Lord, we are yours. You freed us from our sin and made us a kingdom of priests to you. All of us. If you were saved in this room, God, you have given them a purpose to represent you in this world, no matter what the world does, no matter what comes our way, no matter what persecution is around the corner, and it is. Lord, we will say, as our brother sang at a funeral yesterday, it is well with our soul. 
Because you are sovereign in control of it all. This world is not spinning out of control. You are sovereign over it. And what you will to come pass will come to pass, will. And so, God, we trust you. (laughs) But yet, Lord, we pray. We don't trust you as we should. And so, Lord, restore your people to self. Lord, be worshipped now as we ponder that new heaven and new earth and as we respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.